Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. In these days of the COVID-19 pandemic, we're disseminating as much high-quality, evidence-based information and expert opinion about the situation as we can in our special bonus COVID-19 episodes. Meanwhile, we still want to support you in your nursing career development, so please enjoy this interview recorded prior to this global emergency. Be well, stay safe, and many blessings on you, your loved ones, your colleagues, your communities, and everyone on this troubled yet beautiful planet of ours. Are you ready for a film that accurately and compassionately tells the story of what it's like to be an emergency nurse in the United States in the 21st century? Let's talk all about it with filmmakers Carolyn Jones and Lisa Frank right here on episode 273 of The Nurse Keith Show. Well, hello and welcome to the Nurse Keith Show. I love having you along for this ride. Whether you're new to the show or you've been on this journey for me for months or maybe even years, as always, thanks for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. This podcast is all about you and your nursing career, and I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, entrepreneurship, medicine, and beyond. And do you know that Nurse Keith Coaching is your one stop shop for all things related to your nursing career. That's right. I offer individualized coaching for nurses and healthcare professionals like you. Folks all around the world come to me. And if you mention that you're a listener, you'll get 10% off your first coaching package. Email me today at Keith at nursekeith.com and we can schedule a complimentary consult to explore how coaching can help you have the most satisfying life and career possible. Meanwhile, if you want to see the all-important show notes for this episode, they are at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 273. Today, we're welcoming friends of the pod, Carolyn Jones and Lisa Frank, well-known filmmakers who are now working or actually releasing their third film about nurses in the United States. Carolyn and Lisa, we're going to jump right into it. And I want to ask you, this film, In Case of Emergency, is your third feature documentary focused on nurses in the United States. And I'm really curious how you decided to get involved telling the story of nurses in the first place. What was the impetus? Well, actually, thank you for asking that because it's been an incredible journey and it all started really almost 10 years ago now when I was asked to do a book about nurses and Lisa and I traveled all over the country meeting nurses from all walks of life to hear about what they encounter, what their jobs were like, what they felt about the work that they do and honestly, it just grabbed me emotionally. Um, There's something so authentic and real about the experiences that nurses have. And so after the book, we decided to dig in deeper and make a film called The American Nurse and followed five nurses for that film. But it was always issue driven, right? I mean, we were Uh were looking at the prison system and returning war veterans and poverty in this country, but through the lens of a nurse. And then when we finished that film, I just I just wasn't finished. Uh, I just felt like there were so many more stories to tell. And we had had a lot of conversations about the end of life experience in in America. And um, I just wanted to dig in further on that. So we decided to follow eight patients that had life-threatening illnesses and follow them as they made choices at the end of life. And we were really focused on 
the patients and took footage of everyone they encountered, the doctors, the chaplains, the physical therapists, everyone who's part of the team. Um, at the end, when we edited the film, I have to say that the most compelling, the richest, the deepest conversations that I was able to have with these patients were with the nurses, when the nurses were present. So it looks like we're very, very focused on nurses, but we did capture a lot more than that for the film. But by the time we were finished with it, Defining Hope is really about the nurses who guide their patients through these end-of-life decisions. Absolutely. And they're both beautiful films. We, we screened them both here in Santa Fe after they were released and tried to get you all here, but you were quite busy with the, the national release. And I remember Defining Hope was screened all over the country on the same day. And that was fantastic to be involved in. We did it here in Santa Fe at the Violet Crown Theater. And Lisa, I'm curious, you know, with In Case of Emergency, what was the conversation or was there a specific conversation between you and Carolyn about like, yeah, the ER is really like a, a pretty intense place to go hang out? <laughs> there were many such conversations, it's true. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the way it started, we didn't set out to do another film focused on nursing or even healthcare for that matter. Um, we were looking at other projects we had we have a nonprofit focused on global issues for students. We were working on that. And we were actually approached by the Emergency Nurses Association, and they called us up and said, have you ever thought about looking at what's going on in our emergency departments in America? And as we dug into that conversation, we realized immediately that, you know, I think we all agree, I think most of us can agree that the healthcare system in our country is broken, and all of the ways in which it is broken are playing out daily in emergency departments across the country. So whether it's, you know, behavioral health patients without any access to care and who are ending up boarding in emergency departments, whether it's folks without insurance or without a primary care doctor, uh, mm -hmm. whether it's gun violence or the opioid crisis, all of these huge issues that we're dealing with in our country right now are playing out. And these emergency nurses and the, emergen em the teams in the emergency department are really on the front lines of dealing with these issues. And in many cases, having to innovate to find solutions when we don't have them as a society. So it was obvious to us pretty quickly that this would be a really compelling story to dive into and it would open up different aspects of nursing that we hadn't yet had a chance to see. Mm -hmm. um, so we were excited to, to spend the last couple of years really focused on this. Yeah, it's fantastic. Mary and I watched it last night. We both cried at almost exactly the same places throughout the film. I was like, are you crying? Yes, I'm crying. Yeah. Um, so we watched it last night and it was incredibly moving. I want to watch it again because there's some details I want to kind of focus back in on. But I did get through the whole thing just with some tears. And I know a lot of ER nurses and I know flight nurses as well. And in the film, you cover nurses and hospitals, well, EDs in Burlington, Vermont, Patterson, New Jersey, somewhere in, I think, Iowa, Right? Dubuque, Iowa. Dubuque, Iowa. And then there's somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, I think it was Bend, Oregon. Correct. Exactly. And then there was a couple other places as well. We were in Detroit. Uh, we were in Dallas, Texas, uh, and in Patterson, New Jersey, which is about an hour outside of New York City. Yeah, that's fascinating. And one of the threads I see throughout the film, which of course I was aware of, but seeing it portrayed in the film so acutely really 
hit home with me. So like you mentioned a few moments ago, Lisa, gun violence, the opioid crisis, um, and health insurance. Those were like three things that seemed to come up almost everywhere, or were at least a pattern of what people seem to be mostly very focused on. So Carolyn, in terms of choosing the the sites, how did you how did you get permission, first of all, to film in emergency departments? And how did you choose where to do this? Because there's, I don't know how many EDs there are in the United States. Well, it's complicated. And I'm going to let Lisa speak to permission because that was like a three-month journey. I have no doubt. But the initial idea, you know, it, it's hard when you when you decide you're going to tell a story like this. There are a lot of different ways to do it. And one way is to find, you know, one emergency department that can represent the whole country and dig in really deeply there and see what the issues are. But we decided early on that we didn't want to do it that way, that we really wanted to find out what was going on in the rural communities in America and in urban communities. Is it different? Is it the same? Do our emergency rooms really having different experiences in different parts of the country. And we wanted to have a really good thorough understanding, kind of a snapshot of what's going on in these emergency departments all across the country. So we we wanted to get as you know as broad as we could, and and then we needed to find the the hospitals that would let us come in and do this work. And I've got to let Lisa take that because it took months to get through. <laughs> well, tell us all about it, Lisa. <laughs> um, you know, it, this is actually fun for me, but it was it was complicated and it was frustrating because we, of course, have had experiences in the past getting access to hospitals and to nurses. Um, mm-hmm. But the emergency department was a whole different level because obviously in terms of HIPAA, which is the, our privacy laws, it's much harder to make sure that the patient privacy is respected when you're in a situation where people are coming in for traumatic events, right? Traumatic injuries. Um, in a normal hospital setting, you have time to call the family in advance and get their consent and do all the paperwork beforehand. In the emergency department, it's all happening right there. You know, some hospitals, I will say right off the bat, you know, we had conversations with them. In some cases, we were talking to them for several months and with their legal departments, and they finally said, this is just too complicated. We can't can't participate. Mm-hmm. That did, you know, that did happen a couple of times. Um, and we understood because, you know, they are arguably taking a risk letting cameras in when they normally wouldn't have. We had the benefit, I think, of the trust within the healthcare nursing community because we've now done several projects and people kind of know the work that we've done. I think that really is what we relied very heavily on for people to give us access. They weren't just going to let any camera crew into their emergency department, but they were willing to say that, you know, we trust you and we're going to work together. And then once we had access and we had our contracts in place with the hospitals, then of course we worked with their teams and they would consent the patients and the families beforehand and then we would be able to to work with them and tell their stories. But it was definitely a multi-step process and, um, uh, you know, it's kind of a miracle that we were able to capture as much as we were and some really compelling stories of patients. Oh my gosh. I mean, so compelling. I won't give any away because they're just so incredible, but it's everything from... Well, I'll, I'll give a couple hints. It's adding anywhere from someone hurting themselves with a snowblower to someone being <laughs> shot. I mean, and and everything in between. You know, we have alcoholism, drug abuse, 
like I said, gunshot wounds, all sorts of trauma. And so we had, the film features some very intimate conversations with patients. I mean, some of them are quite erudite and just very vulnerable in front of the camera. And then the vulnerability of the nurses, a couple of them especially, I mean, not just the tears, but them actually sharing, you know, the trauma that they experience, the secondary trauma and the post-traumatic stress is absolutely breathtaking. And not that I didn't know this, but to actually see it portrayed in this way cinematically is beyond anything I think anyone has ever seen in terms of the emergency department. So Carolyn, as the director and the you know, you're the person really kind of calling the shots, um, literally and figuratively. What was it like? I mean, you're not actually behind the camera. You have a cinematographer for a majority of it, I'm assuming. But what was it like to be there seeing this vision of yours take shape before your very eyes? And were you surprised by anything? I was surprised by everything. (laughs) I mean, first of all, it was probably about as raw as anything I've ever witnessed or had the privilege to to film. Um, first of all, just getting beyond what actually goes on in the emergency department and who comes in and what they're dealing with is, it was stunning. I mean, I remember the very first night in Patterson, New Jersey, just from the sounds alone of what I was hearing, of what was going on, um, I was like in a ball on the floor, just not thinking that I could do this film because mm-hmm. what the, what we're asking of emergency room nurses, what we're asking of the whole team to deal with is, it's, it's, it's like a, it can be like a war zone in there. It's just, absolutely, it's just wild. And, and so it's such a privilege to have this access. And I think that that's, that's what this documentary is really all about is I started to look at the emergency department as this big fortress and Mm -hmm. the rest of us never get in there unless something is wrong and you come in and there's only one door in and there's one door out and the whole thing is surrounded by this big moat. and The moat is filled with alligators and there's no other way in or out. But within those walls is a whole nother world. And we're asking these people to care for us, as you said, whether we've, you know, had an accident with a snowblower or we've been shot or we have um, whatever the other issues are. Sometimes we have control Mm -hmm. over them. Sometimes we don't. But we go in through this door and we ask these people to care for us. And none of us know what's going on in there and what they're dealing with and what it's like to work with people without insurance and all of these different issues that just started to pile up. So I, I have to say for me, I, just, I, I immediately gained enormous respect for everybody who devotes their life to working in the emergency department. I, it's a unique group of people and, uh, and, and their stories and their way of presenting themselves is, is just magnificent. Mm. Yeah. And the way in which in this particular film, several of the nurses are just so baldly um, 
honest about their experience. I mean, of course, several mentioned, you know, the excitement over trauma and how that's what brought them in, you know, was the trauma was, you know, that's so exciting often often to a novice nurse, you know, getting to fix something and have something where you can actually have a direct impact immediately. And also the adrenaline. I mean, a lot of ER nurses will will admit that they're adrenaline junkies <laughs> and that they thrive on that particular energy. But, oh man, I mean, I've never done ED work. I've only observed. So I have enormous respect as well. You know, I think a big part of it too was it's really intellectually interesting. Every single day is something different and they're learning something and you're dealing with everything from, you know, every age and every stage of life. So Mm -hmm. I think it's got this kind of really intellectual interest and also it is... Talk about having purpose every day and what you do. I mean, there's just, they make such a difference in what's going on. And and I started, you know, we would try to stay with the nurses over a whole 12 or 14 hour period and, and witness the, the whole shift. And we would just witness these moments of unbelievable humanity mm-hmm. where in the midst of all this craziness with like 17 people standing around the, the, the bed of a patient, there would just be this moment where, you know, somebody would say, I've got you, Mm -hmm. or, you know, um, just like use exactly the right words to get through to someone to let them know Mm -hmm. that they were going to be okay. And those just, you know, those are just magnificent to, to be able to witness and capture on film. Yeah, absolutely. Amazingly captured. And Lisa, from a sociopolitical standpoint, you know, it's the 21st century. We're recording this in 2020 and healthcare is always an issue in the United States and continues to be. And we're in election year. So it's even more of an issue because it's, you know, we need to decide what we're doing here in these next four years after 2020. And also the opioid crisis that, that intersects with the healthcare crisis in terms of health insurance, but it goes way beyond it. And also gun violence. So Lisa, what, I don't even know where to begin, but what is your take on what you discovered or what was maybe brought even more clearly to your attention Mm -hmm. about the sociopolitical issues related to the emergency department and healthcare in general in the United States? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, the first thing that struck me, I remember after our first, one of our first trips where we were filming a couple of overnight shifts somewhere, and I called my husband and I said, my God, we are so sick in this country and there is such inequality. I mean, that's what really struck me was the inequality. The fact mm-hmm. that so many people just are living in such a way that it's paycheck to paycheck, even if they have insurance, they can't afford the co-pays. So people mm-hmm. get so sick that by the time they get to the emergency department, it's something that could have been dealt with maybe months ago, years ago, if they had access to primary care on a regular basis. But in fact, they don't. So that's what really struck me. And, and so what are the solutions to that? And I think the nurses, if we were really listening to the nurses, they have ideas. And a lot of it does have mm-hmm. to do with primary care. And I think that a lot of these hospitals in St. Joseph's, you know, we met this wonderful, happened to be a physician who was running their emergency department. And he talked about 
when he was, um, you know, many years ago working for, I'm going to bungle the story, but he, he was working for a city planner. They were planning a sidewalk and he said, well, which side of the street should we put the sidewalk on? And the city planner said, well, we're going to wait till spring and see where the people are walking. And that's where we put the sidewalk. And it's a beautiful analogy because people are using emergency departments the way they need to use emergency departments because that's all they have in their communities. And that's mm -hmm. the reality of our healthcare system today in 2020 is that this is what we have, like it or not, we have emergency departments as our safety net. And so I think what some hospitals are doing is finding ways to evolve and say, well, then let's make it a clinic or let's find a way to give people primary care that they need so that they're not having to, you know, spend hours and hours, uh, in, you know, in an emergency department or being admitted to the hospital for something that can be dealt with in a more in a primary care setting. So um, I don't have a simple answer. Obviously, we, mm -hmm. we witnessed, you know, so, so much that that was distressing, but it, it certainly took me out of my own little bubble of my privilege of having health insurance, having access mm -hmm. to great um, healthcare myself, and then the reality that for so many Americans, they don't share that privilege. So, you know, our hope is that is that um, somehow people could could watch this and be reminded of that and maybe work on solutions in the community that can prevent some of some of this usage of the emergency department. Excellent point. Um, we're going to take a very quick break. And when we come back, I want to dig a little bit more into these these things that came up so starkly in the film, including gun violence and homelessness and the, the behavioral health stuff that you all witnessed, which is pretty profound. And there's a lot of first aid, mental health first aid that happens in the ED, and I'd like to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about how this film is being distributed and when people can get involved and how they can get involved and see the film. So we will be right back for the second half of this episode 273 of The Nurse Keith Show. So now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment. Please consider becoming a patron of The Nurse Keith Show, just like other awesome listeners who value the show so much that they want to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. When you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support The Nurse Keith Show, you also get some pretty cool premiums and gifts from yours truly. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith to read all about it. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Nurse Keith. And if you know someone who could benefit from career coaching with me, please consider referring them. And if they become a paying client, you'll receive credit for an hour of coaching with me. And there's no expiration date on that credit, so you can keep it in your back pocket until you need it most. And remember that you can refer as many people as you like and continue to earn those coaching credits. What an incredible deal. And please head over to nursekeith.com and sign up for my newsletter, which comes out regularly and brings you supportive messages, updates from my blog and my podcast, resources, and all sorts of other stuff. Remember, nursekeith.com, sign up for that newsletter, and you'll also get a free download from me as my gift to you. Anyway, those are my sincere asks today. So now, let's dig back into today's topic without further ado. 
And we're back. Thanks for hanging out here at the Nurse Keith Show, episode 273. Remember, the show notes are at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 273. There'll be links to the social media and web presence of Carolyn and Lisa and this amazing film, In Case of Emergency. And we'll also have the trailer embedded in there so you can watch the trailer and then check out everything involved with the film and the other two films that these brilliant filmmakers have made. And we can have a continuing conversation about what's going on with healthcare in the United States in the 21st century. So Lisa and Caroline, right before the break, we were talking about what you had seen in the EDs around the country and the effects on the population and these varied very diverse populations. So we have issues around language, culture, violence, the opioid epidemic, addiction in general, and health insurance. And Lisa, you were just speaking very, very articulately in, about this whole issue of health insurance. And even if someone has basic health insurance and they say they work a minimum wage job, or maybe a little better than minimum wage if they're lucky and they have a couple kids, they have a lot of bills and they get injured on Friday night or they're sick on Friday night. They can't see their primary care doctor at least till Monday or their nurse practitioner. And they know their copay for the ER visit is $250. So I think you all witnessed people coming in there who are uninsured or underinsured like you said, Lisa, who could have gotten this taken care of months ago. So did you all hear, and Carolyn, I'll, I'll address this to you. Did you hear from any of the nurses specific ideas for how to address this, like perhaps about behavioral health or addiction? What were some of the potential solutions or band-aids that you witnessed or heard about? So it's... It it's a wonderful question for a lot of reasons. One is because we went out hoping that we were going to hear those solutions and find them. And we really wanted to do that. I think that the thing that we found was that the nurses were so busy fixing, so overwhelmed with this tsunami of people coming into the emergency department that um, that thinking of the solutions, thinking of changing the revolving door and getting off the hamster wheel was almost out of realm. Now, some of them had found organizations that they were working with. A perfect example is the opioid crisis in Patterson, New Jersey. Um, mm -hmm. The emergency department nurses there, and, the, and everyone in the emergency department, uh, works very closely with an organization called Eva's Village. And Eva's Village takes the patient's from the emergency department when they can connect and brings them to and bring brings those people to the uh, to Eva's village to help them get clean, find a job, find shelter, whatever they need to do to get on the mm -hmm. right track. So the nurse's job in that moment is to try to keep that patient there to connect them to someone at Eva's Village so that there's a warm handoff, so that once they've used Narcan and brought this person back to life, that they're not just sending them back out on the street, right? 
so we were there and and had uh, and and had a couple of really interesting um, encounters with patients. One in particular was a young man who told us that the second time he had been brought back to life with Narcan, he was in the emergency department at St. Joe's, and you know they fixed him up and they were pretty much ready to send him out back out. And this nurse came in and just kind of found the way to say the right thing to him at the right time and said, spend the night here and just stay here until tomorrow morning when someone from Eva's village can come in and talk to you. Well, someone did come in, a man named Terry, and the next morning he took Anthony with him and they found a path out of this vicious cycle that Anthony was in. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the most beautiful solutions that we saw. So Lisa, you know, there were so many moments in the film that were just devastating on various emotional levels. And I hope you don't mind me going here, but you have two young children. You have a five-year-old and a two-year-old, right? That's right. So you witnessed parents, I don't know if you personally witnessed parents grieving, but we did see in the film a nurse talking about you know, a child coding and not surviving. So Mm -hmm. as a mom and Lisa, uh, Carolyn, you're a mom too, but I'm addressing this to Lisa because she has, you know, little kids. And I'm just curious, like if you're willing to share what went through your mind when either you witnessed or heard these stories. Absolutely. I mean, there's no question that we all relate to these the things that we're most closely connected to, right? Mm-hmm. So it was very upsetting. Um, mm-hmm. We, one of the stories that I connected to very closely, in fact, was um, we saw in Dubuque in Iowa, there was a very young patient. I think he was three or four years old. At the time, he was mm-hmm. exactly the same age as my older son. And he came in for an asthma attack. And I remember I was so drawn into this mom and she was so upset because she had felt that she hadn't been able to get the right treatment for her son. They had just moved to Iowa from Chicago and in Chicago, none of the doctors had diagnosed him correctly with asthma. They said he had bronchitis. It was clearly a misdiagnosis Hmm. and it really stuck with me so much so that I made such a big deal to Carolyn at the time (laughs) that this was a great story and this had to make it into the final cut and I loved this mother and her son and wasn't it so compelling and at the time I remember her saying well it's okay but I don't know if Jen's interaction was great we'll have to see how it looks when we edit it she wasn't as moved by that story (laughs) right right? so there's no question that that was something I connected to and we saw this when we were working on Defining Hope our last film Anytime we would show footage or show a rough cut to friends, if somebody was going through an illness with a loved one, they would connect to that part of the story. If it was their Mm -hmm. grandfather, they connect to that story. If it was somehow people always, you know, that's, that's what we do, right? That's how empathy works. So, so you're right. I mean, it was tough, but I would say too, you know, Carolyn and I, I think we're on the same page a lot of the time as we were filming because the things that were heart-wrenching were just heart-wrenching for all oh, yeah. of us that were there. I mean, we were all in tears at the same time. Nurses were in tears. Um, you know, there were moments that were just so hard to watch and witness what these families and these patients were going through. So none of it was easy. No, I'm sure. And, you know, it- Carolyn, your daughter is in her 20s. She's 26 or 27. And, you know, we worry about our kids. My son is 36. And I have a 
family members who were struggling with various health issues and friends and colleagues and myself <laughs> personally. And we are so privileged. Some of us are so privileged. And here we are in a country with arguably the largest GDP in the world or one of the largest GDPs in the world. We spend more money on healthcare per capita than any industrialized country. I don't use the terms first world and third world. I think they're very, I just hate those terms. But in an industrialized country, we spend so much money and we have the most horrible outcomes of any industrialized country. Some of our outcomes are akin to more developing countries in some ways. And it's so upsetting and maddening to witness this. You know, you, you start a, a project like this and want to be a witness, right? We're, we're documentary filmmakers. We're, we're not supposed to pass judgment. We're supposed to go in and capture the stories that we capture and tell the truth. That's, that's the goal. Um, mm -hmm. But this project for me personally has been really transformative because I went in just wanting to do that. And I've come out two years later thinking this is a mess. This can't go on the way it is. The way our healthcare system is set up is just such a mess for everyone. And I guess one of the mm -hmm. goals of the film is really to let's pull away the politics that are surrounding all of these issues, everything from the opioid crisis and gun violence and behavioral health and insurance. Peel all of that away for a minute because this, what we were able to witness was what these issues really look like when they affect the human body and our loved ones and our communities and our society as a result. And if there's anything that we can do with this film, I'd like for people to, to understand that, that, that all of these things that we're talking about, all these issues that we witness, they really should be looked at from the nursing perspective. That's the best way to understand when we're really talking about behavioral health or gun violence and the mm -hmm. opioid crisis. Let's look at it through that perspective because it's non-political and it's non-judgmental and it gives us the truth. Well said. Well said. And that's the purpose of a film, right? A documentary film to tell the truth and to allow the audience to experience that truth through the lens <laughs> um, metaphoric lens or the real lens of the filmmaker and then decide what what they might what the reaction is and then what they might want to do about it and i know you mentioned nurses being it's an apolitical lens and in the film you also showed nurses ed nurses and members of the emergency nurses association who were deeply involved with you know the conversations around this film, I believe, going to Washington and talking to legislators, which is what happens all over the country all the time. So what I see as potential solutions that I'm hearing out in the ethers out there is one, advocacy, so talking to legislators. The other thing is nurses actually running for office. So we have two nurses in Congress at this very moment. Um, Bernice Johnson and one other who I don't remember at the moment. I'll put them in the show notes if I remember. And, you know, I always tell nurses, you know, if you don't want to run for office nationally, which is a big deal, run for school board um, or get the ear of your mayor and talk to your mayor about the opioid epidemic in your community or run for mayor <laughs> or run for, you know, become a ward representative in the, with a ward and just talk to your 
your community members about the issues of substance or do what friends of mine do and just write letters to the editor. Just use your nursing, use the the trust the public has in nurses, according to the Gallup poll every year, 18 years straight, that we're trusted. People see us as honest and ethical. So leverage that. So nurses are becoming more politically active. And I think it's very important. And we also just need nurses to speak up because people need to know what's going on. And Lisa, you saw what was going on in Patterson, in Dubuque, in Bend, Oregon, in Dallas, Texas, in Detroit. You saw what was happening. So is there, how do I ask this question? Do you, did you experience, and if so, what optimism around what can be done about these issues in our country? Or did you walk away with a different feeling from finishing this project? I could probably answer that two totally different ways. Um, I'm going to choose to say that we walked away with some optimism. I couldn't agree more that nurses Mm -hmm. are the best leaders, because if you think about, we want our leaders to actually know something about us, right? And as we've been talking, nurses are the ones that know the most about us. They see us, these nurses in the emergency department see every person from every background in their most vulnerable, intimate moments. And if that isn't the very definition of knowing about your constituents, I don't know what is. So then if they go to advocacy, if they go into government, I mean, they actually genuinely know um, what makes us tick and, and how to help us, right? How to help us as a society. So I think that's very important. I guess in terms of the, the optimism, what we went in looking for were solutions in the hospital. And what we discovered is that the solutions are outside of the hospital in the sense that it's really about bridging to the community. Everything falls back into in places where you have great programs in the local community that the hospital is working in tandem with, those programs are genuinely helping people. When we went to Vermont, I think the state is looking at moving closer to a single payer healthcare system. They are. And something like, right. And, and people feel optimistic about that. The patients that we met in Vermont felt very well cared for. They felt that they didn't have to worry about going to the hospital, going to see their doctor. They felt that they were going to be covered for that and not have to go um, and declare bankruptcy for that experience. And in terms of opioids in Vermont, too, they're trying different pilot programs so that doctors in the ED can prescribe Suboxone so that they don't have to wait until they get into treatment to, to get started on that medication. So, so these our solutions, and you've got Vermont as a progressive state that's saying we're really going to work towards trying these things, and obviously it's a smaller population in Vermont, it potentially might make it easier, but there are things that are starting to work, and they already are seeing a reduction in opioid deaths, for example, in the state of Vermont, which is one of the reasons we wanted to look at it for that issue. Mm. So we did walk away feeling optimistic that in places where they're really focused on this and they're focused on bridging these patients with community organizations, that that could be a solution. Um, But we also walked away feeling less optimistic in parts of the country uh, that are looking at healthcare differently and that aren't as focused as as moving towards these solutions that are really sort of digging in and and not providing the funding or not... um, 
you know, working with the community that way. Good points. Good points. And yes, there are solutions out there. People are coming up with them. Sometimes it can be done legislatively, but often it has to happen on a community level or maybe a state level. So maybe Vermont is one of the states that's going to give us more of an example of how this can be done. So it all remains to be seen. And being an election year, you know, your guess is as good as mine as what's going to happen nationally. And we're not going to go there because we're, we're wrapping up here. But um, Lisa, you're an executive producer of Carolyn's you know, film project. So you're the producer behind this. And you're also the director of programs and production for the 100 People Foundation, which was founded by you, Carolyn, correct? That's right. Yeah. And can you just speaking of solutions, as we wrap up, you know, you're an award-winning photographer and filmmaker. You've published um, two amazing books. There's The American Nurse and then Living Proof, Courage in the Face of AIDS and, you know, Defining Hope, the second film in this kind of nurse trilogy so far was broadcast on PBS all over the country and brought, you know, it was broadcast over a thousand times. So there's a lot going on here. So before we wrap, I just want to understand what the nonprofit 100 People Foundation is. Can you explain the gist of your nonprofit? You know, without getting too deep in the details, the, the okay. concept is to introduce who we share the planet with. It's to have children introduce us to people in their communities that they admire and let mm-hmm. us find out how people are living in different parts of the world. Um, and it's all based on the statistics of looking at the world as 100 people because trying to understand the world population is almost impossible because the numbers are too big. So the the concept of 100 people is to create a world portrait and it's just a, it's a little bit more complex than than we have the time to go into but what I will say that what's consistent about all of this work that we're trying to do is is the desire to pull back to to kind of look at what's going on in our country or in the world from a bird's eye view or from the International Space Mm. Station, if you will. If you look back at Earth, who are we and what are we doing? Mm. And are we helping one another? And are we making the world a better place? And do we have any understanding of who's living, whether it's in the community next door where people don't have health insurance or whether it's your neighbor who has a behavioral health problem or whether it's someone somewhere on the other side of the world who doesn't have electricity, no matter what it is for us to better understand who our neighbors are. And that's what I think that's really what I was put on this earth to contemplate. Mm, Beautiful. I agree wholeheartedly that you have you both have very important work that you're doing here on the planet. I really I appreciate it. I'm your very big fan. So to find the Hundred People Foundation, how do we find that? One hundred people.org on the internet, and it's an active. Uh, there's a lesson plan for schools to use mm. that material. Um, Lisa, do you want to weigh in here with any other thoughts about One Hundred People? Yeah, no, 100 People has just been a really wonderful ongoing project. I've been really proud to be a part of it for all of these years. And we have students all around the world, all around the country, using the materials all the time um, to help open this conversation about their global neighbors. And we get emails 
all the time from teachers around the world saying how that opened their students' eyes to understanding a little bit about their local community and the and where they fit into the global community. So it, it's been a beautiful project to be a part of. Oh, fantastic. I know last time we talked about this, when we last did an episode on another podcast, I did pass that information on to some teachers I know, and I'm going to oh, repeat cool. that process, actually. Um, now, if people want to learn about the film, I believe they can go to incaseofemergency.film, correct? And then if they want to check out um, the social media, you can obviously go from incaseofemergency.film, but you can also go to facebook.com forward slash American Nurse Project. And then on Instagram, you can find instagram.com forward slash Carolyn Jones Productions. And then on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash AM as in American Nurse Project. We'll have the links in the show notes and we'll also have links to both of your LinkedIn profiles. So if people want to connect with you there, they can do so. And if anyone has a question, is it okay if they email you through LinkedIn or Please. is it okay if they contact you through the website? Is that is that okay with you all? Absolutely. Absolutely. We would love that. Okay. That's wonderful. So this is the year of the nurse 2020 as declared by the World Health Organization, and it's the 200th anniversary of the birth of Florence Nightingale. So you all are featuring nurses in this amazing, heroic, noble emergency department avocation that is the timing couldn't be better. So thank you for, for um, coinciding so magically and serendipitously with the year of the nurse. <laughs> We, we didn't see that coming. That was a coincidence, actually. And we were really happy to be able to participate in some way. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, we've talked a lot about what nurses can do to get out there and have their voice be heard. And I'm a really big believer that we as the public need to do a better job at asking the right questions. So that's a lot of the work that we try to do is try to show people what nurses do and how much they offer and how much knowledge they have and get people to really sit up and listen when a nurse is talking. Yes. Well, Karen and Lisa, thank you so much. You all are so incredible. I'm so glad we met a few years ago when I was in New York and I'm sure we'll meet again. And I cannot recommend this film more highly. It is absolutely breathtaking. And the editing, the cinematography, the clarity and the vulnerability of everyone in the film is absolutely incredible. So thank you for making this amazing film. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to share some of these stories with you. Thank you so much. It was great to be with you again. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this incredible episode with Lisa Frank and Carolyn Jones. This is episode 273. And remember, the show notes are at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode 273. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered from this episode. Maybe you're going to run for Congress. And I encourage you to take inspired action every day in the interest of your personal and professional satisfaction. And if you need personalized holistic career coaching to elevate your nursing career, look no further than nursekeith.com. And if you mention the show or this episode, you can get 10% off your first coaching package. And did you know there are job listings and other resources at nursekeep.com? That's right. Jobs from Reload, Trusted Health, ZipRecruiter, Incredible Health, and lots of other resources for you at nursekeep.com, including links to my blog and this podcast. The Nurse Keith Show is adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting, and Mark Cotby Spiesen is our stalwart social media ringmaster. I'm grateful to both Rob and Mark 
These stellar individuals for keeping the wheels turning in the right direction. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith signing off from beautiful and chilly and snowy Santa Fe, New Mexico, and Carolyn Jones bidding you adieu from New York City. New York City and the amazing Lisa Frank from Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn, New York. Thank you both. And we will catch everybody next time.